How are we doing this morning? Anybody hungry? Like not for lunch. I got to be careful asking that at 11:27. It's not for lunch. Are you hungry for word from the Lord today? Seven of you are. Okay. So there'll be a few who be disappointed, I guess. I want to challenge you. Uh, take your Bible and turn with me to Ephesians chapter five and. Uh, this message, our second week in this series on family, uh, putting the pieces back together, uh, this message, like most of the messages here at, at Grace Point, they build one upon the other. And so last week we, we talked about the importance of family and, and family God's way, and, and we looked at, well, who has the authority, the right to define what family is, and and the author, the creator of the family has a lot to say, and he is the ultimate authority on family for us. And I shared with you last week how we're going to take the next few weeks and we're going to look about what, what God has to say about marriage and, and why that is important to us. Why should we even care what God says about marriage? And what does God say to us about parenting? What does God say to us about honoring our mother and father? What does God say to us about reconciliation in our families? And, and ultimately, what does God say? Is there healing for the fractures in our family? But this morning, I want to talk to you about marriage and why marriage matters. Now, all of you who are married, I want you to raise your hand. Okay? Very good. Very good. Put your hands down. All of you who are not married, raise your hand. If you're not married, raise your hand. Okay. Those who just raised your hand, point to someone who has their hand down and say, this message is for you. Tell them. Tell them. This message is for you. Okay. Now, all of you who are married, raise your hand. Those who have their hands down, say, ah, this message is for you too. Anybody who doesn't have their hand up. Here's what I want us to catch today. Whether you are married or not married, it's important for us to know what God says about marriage. This is not just pushing some kind of conservative agenda or or just some kind of love with the way things used to be. You see, our Creator, the great I Am, talks to us about marriage, and it's important for all of us to know about marriage. And before we're done today, we're going to get that. But I want to warn you, we're going to be eating some steak today. Okay, so there's more teaching going on here than, than just proclamation today. There is proclamation, but there's a lot of teaching as well. And so I want you to get out your fork and knife and let's, let's dig through this meat that God has for us that's important for every Christian to know what God thinks about marriage. You see, there's a crisis in our culture today. Listen to this thought by Smalley of Focus on the Family, battered by high rates of divorce and cohabitation, unwed childbearing, and the push for so-called same-sex marriage and civil unions, marriage is in a state of crisis. Recent cultural changes without historical precedent have influenced an increasing number of Americans to view this foundational institution of marriage as optional, disposable, And open to redefinition. This is a good summary of of the crisis that the family and ultimately the marriage is in today. I could give you a number of stats, but I'm going to hold off on the stats today because I want us to dive into what God's Word has to say about this crisis. But I wonder where our mind is today when we think about marriage and and where our appetite is for knowing what God says. Because there's those of us who in this room who are married, there's a good chunk of us who I think we're pretty satisfied in our marriage. We, We feel pretty pleased. So that's good that God created marriage, but I'm all good. So why do I need to know any more about what God's word says about marriage? There's another chunk of us who are married who say, well, it's kind of rocky. It's kind of tough. And And I'm glad that God has something to say about marriage, but I live in real life, and I'm pretty sure that I haven't seen anything in Scripture that talks about what he or she is doing at home, and so I don't know what value there's going to be there. And and then there's another chunk of us who are not married, and we go, you said this is going to be important to me. Why? How how should this be helpful to me? Friends, we're going to see a lot of things that our culture, our society, the world is telling us is okay in marriage, and it's not okay. And it affects every person in this room. Friends, divorce is tearing apart the fabric of our culture. Friends, this redefinition of marriage, or this idea to redefine marriage, is, is tearing apart the fabric of our culture. The sex outside the concept, or the, 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 uh, the, the commitment, and, and the covenant, 
is outside the covenant and commitment of marriage, sex outside of that gift from God, it is always painful. It is always leading to fractures in, in people's lives. When we begin to see this, this idea of cohabitation, living together, before we have a, a commitment in marriage, this is, this is tearing apart our world. So why should you and I be concerned about what God says about marriage? Well, first and foremost, God said something, so I think we should care what He says. But, but also, our world is straying away. In fact, even many in the church are straying away from what God says about marriage. And it affects those who are married. It affects those who are not married. It affects every single one of us. Let's, let's begin to, to look at this. Well, so what's the big deal? Well, a couple thoughts of why this is important. Fractured marriages lead to fractured families. Not every person in this room is married. Not every person in this room has kids. But every person in this room, no matter who we are, we've had a mom or a dad. You may or may not have known them. They may or may not have been together. But every one of us had been a part of some kind of family, fractured or not. And so fractured marriages lead to fractured families. And this is important. It's a crisis. Not every husband... Not every wife will have a child, but every child has a mom and a dad. And that timeless reality is what makes marriage such an important institution. Now, I'm not saying that that you had a good relationship with your mom or a good relationship with your dad. You may not even know who your mom or who your dad is, but every single person in this room had a mom, had a dad. And therefore, because marriage or God's plan for marriage has a huge impact on the way God wants children to be raised, this is important for all of us. See, when our children are impacted, all of our future is impacted. Every single one of us, our future is impacted by what is happening with the children today. When we deviate from God's plan of marriage, we not only reap the consequences, we forfeit tremendous blessings that he wants to give to us blessings that are intended to bring safety and security to us blessings that are intended to bring us joy and life blessings that are intended to to be a wellspring of hope and you take those away it's not just the negative consequence it's also the absence of the great positive blessings turn with me to ephesians chapter 5 i'm going to be reading verse 21 through 33 together this is the passage of scripture that Talk about submitting one to another. It's a passage of Scripture for many this has been uncomfortable or one that they want to skip over or they don't like or for some it can be divisive and they begin to argue different sides of this passage. And and it reminded me of some reading that I did this week of another pastor who prepared a sermon on the same passage and and he shared with his people, he said, you know, I, I want you to know that I've been blessed tremendously with a wife way beyond what I deserve. I read that, I thought, I identify with that. I've been blessed with Carrie way beyond what I deserve. And he said, as I began to interface with this text and and read through it and and pour over it, I began to be convicted about, about my role as laying down my life for my wife and how good or lack of a good job I'm doing in that area. And It was so convicting. I'm so glad it's Sunday, he said, because now I can pour that conviction on you and let somebody else wallow in that misery. (laughs) And he shared that, you know, sometimes things like this, it's good to receive in community as a whole and we take it on together. And and I believe that God has, he has a word for us as a community, as a whole, but he also has a word for us individually. Now hear me, don't check out, whether you're married or not married, he has something that is of great value for you today to understand about his plan for marriage. And it impacts you directly, and it impacts our community and our culture for sure. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 21. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives, submit yourselves to your own husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any other blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but they fed and cared for their body, just as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and be united or cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. And these are Paul's words as he's telling us what God had inspired in his heart to write. You see, the, the, the overall tenor of this passage in this chapter is the ultimate purpose of marriage is the glory of God. Everything in Ephesians chapter 5 revolves around the glory of God, specifically the glory of God in Jesus Christ. It permeates the whole passage. Everything comes back to displaying the glory of Christ, imitating Christ, obeying Christ, doing what we do in marriage as to the Lord, for the glory of God and for the glory of Christ. That's what Paul is telling us. In other words, marriage exists for God more than it exists for you. Now, we're beginning to see a very different picture of marriage according to God's Word and a marriage according to the popular way of society. Marriage is not for your own enjoyment, though there's enjoyment there. It's not for your own benefit, though there's benefit there. Marriage, first and foremost, is to glorify God. In fact, you and I were created to glorify God. He's given us the gift of the the covenant union of marriage to bring glory to Himself. Husbands? Wives here today, your marriage exists not for yourself. It exists to glorify God. I want you to let that soak in for a moment, and I want you to to think with me why that is so important. In fact, if we don't catch this, we won't get anything else. Now, I should have warned you a couple of minutes ago, uh, there's, there's a lot of desire when we talk about marriage to get five quick, simple steps to make your marriage better. And there's a place for that. I'm not saying that's all bad. Just you're going to be real disappointed if that's what you're hoping to get today. You see, because I feel like for us to understand what God wants to do in our families, we need to understand the fracture that's going on in the families. And to get at that, we need to understand the fracture that's happening to marriage. And and for us to understand this, it's not just about what I need for me, but understanding what is wrong with marriage as a whole in our society. And it's because it's not squaring with what God has created. And so here we see Paul talking about how marriage exists more for God's glory than it does for you and for me. See, we don't have to walk very far into any kind of bookstore, whether it's a Christian bookstore or a secular bookstore, to find a whole section on marriage. A plethora of books and resources on marriage and the family are, are, are available to all of us. The Christian marriage marketing business is booming. Books and seminars and conferences all talking about how to have a better marriage. What's interesting, though, is the marriage rate continues to decline and the divorce rate continues to rise across our culture. The picture of marriage and the church continues to be brought down by what the world is saying marriage is. The reality is that it appears that we are grasping, we are looking for ways to be happy in our marriages. But the question I want to ask this morning is, if we're looking in the wrong place, what if we're going to books and conferences and seminars and experts in this area and in that area, and and when it comes to marriage, we're just bypassing the expert on the issue. We're bypassing the manual he's given to us in his word on marriage. Now, don't misunderstand me today. I'm not saying that books on marriage or conferences on marriage or resources on marriage are bad or wrong. I've purchased them. I have benefited from them. But the fact of the matter is, if they take the place of the authority of the expert on marriage, it will not help at all. I want to remind you that God is the Lord of marriage. He created marriage. He knows more about marriage than all the Dr. Phil's put together. More than anybody who has studied marriage on earth 
God has created marriage and he knows how it can thrive best. See, the question that will determine the state of your marriage is this question. Is God the Lord of your life? Is God the Lord of your life? Now notice I didn't say is God the Lord of your marriage. And that's going to come out of if God's the Lord of your life. So whether you're married or not married, you need to answer the question, is God the Lord of my life? If God is the Lord, if He is in charge of my life, if He's the ruler of my life, then He will have something to say about what marriage is and what marriage is not. Because I'm acknowledging Him as my guiding force, as my creator, as my savior. He created marriage, the Lord of marriage. And he said that this marriage exists to give glory to him. See, as long as we are starting at the point of our marriage discussion with this idea of what works best for me being the primary interest, we will always end up in the wrong place. That's the wrong starting point. See, the only hope for marriage is the grace of God. Now, I want to dial back a little bit and begin to look at this problem Ephesians 5 is talking about. Why Paul is so passionate about mutually submitting one to another, laying down our life, dying for one another, uh, following and surrendering, putting the other person first. Why is this important? Because it's, it's, it's a picture, and we're going to get to that in a minute, but it's so important of a picture of what Jesus has done and is doing for us. See, the only hope for marriage is the grace of God. Now, this is good news to us. Let me tell you why. People may say, well, well, what's wrong with your marriage? Or what's wrong with a lot of marriages today? It's not hard to find the problem. Anybody who tells you it's hard to find problems in marriage is either never been married or is not really looking at anybody who's married. It's easy to find problems. There's problems in communication. There's problems in intimacy. There's problems in being compatible. There's problems in personality types. There's problems in finances. There are problems in in her past. There's problems in his past. There's problems in their family's past. There's problems everywhere. But you see, the major problem, the root of every problem, the major problem in every marriage is sin. This is extremely important until we come face to face with the sin problem that's at the core of every single one of our hearts. Then we're putting band-aids on broken limbs. It's a broken arm that requires some very serious attention that we just slap a band-aid on. We need to get to that root cause, and until we get to the root cause, the other, sometimes necessary helps, don't even apply. Now, we don't like to talk about it like this, because we don't like to think that the real problem with marriage is in ourself. We don't like to think about that. We don't like to think about it's it's my own disobedience to God that, that can be the root of this marriage problem. In fact, you can find many, 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 many people who will tell you the real problem in your marriage lies with someone other than you. It's it's them. It's the people who raised you. It's it's that spouse that you're married to. It's those kids or it's that circumstance that happened to you. Anything other than the responsibility of ourself and our own choice. You see, when we begin to see that sin is the problem in every marriage, we begin to see that we are at fault, in our selfishness, in our pride, in our get-even spirit, in a bitterness, in a desire to keep me happy. The second major thing is to see the solution for every marriage is a Savior. This is why this is good news. The only hope for any marriage is the grace of God, because the problem in every marriage is sin, always, and the, and the solution to every sin problem is a Savior, The grace of God is is the hope for our marriage because of what Jesus has done for us to bring forgiveness of our sin. I want to say it as, as clear as I can. Jesus Christ is enough for your marriage. I'm not trying to oversimplify it. And I say this with great pause this morning. Because if I had time to walk through each of the pains that some of us have experienced in marriage or our parents' marriage or our grandparents' marriage, it would seem very, very trite to oversimplify and just say that Jesus is enough. And that would be very insensitive and trite if we didn't understand how much I'm trying to emphasize how great and how big the grace of Jesus is. 
In fact, I want to say that I'm more concerned about the problem in your marriage or the problem in your extended family's marriage, so much so that I don't have any faith in anything else apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. Because when we get the sin thing right, taken care of, it puts us on a place where the whole marriage thing can begin to heal and get right. Now, now here's, here's where it takes a little bit of mental work. Especially for those who aren't married, I want you to hang with me because this is where Paul is bringing you on. This is where Paul is bringing us on as married folks to say, this is not just about a direct application to us. It has direct, direct application to those who are married, but it's broader than that. Look at what he does here. We begin to see in, in Ephesians 5 that biblical marriage is the ultimate picture of the gospel of God. There's this dominant connection between husband's relationship with his wife and Christ's relationship with the church. And the wife's relationship with the husband and the church's relationship with Christ. Verse 22, wives submit to your husband's. As you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body, which he is the Savior of. Now, as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives, just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, died for her. Now, get down to verse 31. Now, Paul is quoting from Genesis 2. Now, don't miss this. For this reason, a man will leave his father and mother and will be united or will cleave to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. Now listen to what he says. This is incredible. Verse 32. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. See, Do you realize what Paul is saying here? He's saying that God created marriage. And he goes all the way back to Genesis 2 to say, hey, remember this is God's idea way back here. And when God created marriage, he didn't just kind of say, well, I wonder what marriage would look like. He didn't just roll the dice and say, well, if we take a man and a woman and it, it could be like this. We're not sure. No, no, this was a part of God's strategic plan, not just for marriage, but also for a picture of how Christ would interact with the church and the church is to interact with Christ. See, it's a mystery in that Moses and the people of the Old Testament didn't realize the fullness of the significance that was happening there. But when God designed marriage, he brought about a man and a woman together. His design from the very beginning. This wasn't Paul just saying, hey guys, I want to talk to you about Christ and the church, so what could I use? Um, how about husband and wife? Let's try that. This isn't a creative illustration by Paul. He's going back, he says, hey, in Genesis, in Genesis, this was God's plan. This is his picture For how we are created in the image of God, male and female, there's something in the DNA that God is giving to us as a gift through marriage, as individuals, as a community, and as a society. You see, he's saying that I have a picture of my good news message that I want to give to you and to the world through a picture of a biblical marriage. See, wives give a picture of the church to the world. Every wife gives a picture of the church to the world. This was part of God's plan. Let that soak in. Every husband gives a picture of Christ to the world. See, your marriages, each of our marriages, give a picture of Christ's relationship to the church to the watching world around us. It's an inescapable picture. By that I mean, you do not choose if you're going to be a picture of marriage and a picture of Christ to somebody. Now, it may be up for grabs on what kind of picture you give them. Maybe it's a picture of of a biblical marriage, or maybe it's a picture of a marriage fractured by sin, but you are giving a picture to the world around you that God says is intended to reflect who He is. See, wives, if, if you sleep around on your husband, you show the world that Christ is not satisfying enough for His people. Wives, if you disrespect your husband and you're showing the world that the church does not respect Christ. No, it doesn't. That's silliness. This is just between me and my husband. This is what makes me so mad about religion. It's just me and, and who's in my house. When we shut the door, it shouldn't affect anybody else. That may work good for a soundbite, but that's not the reality. That's not what God tells us happens in our marriage. My marriage, your marriage, is a picture for everybody in our circle of influence of who God is. It may be a poor picture, but it's, a, it's intended to be a picture. 
You see, wives, if, if you don't follow your husband's leadership in mutual submission the way Ephesians 5 talks about, one to another, you're showing the world that Christ is not worth following. Husbands, if you desert your wives, you're showing the world that Christ deserts his people. Husbands, if you abuse your, wa- your wives, or you abuse your authority, or if you abuse what God has given to you, you're showing that Christ abuses the church. No, it doesn't. This is just my marriage. Leave me alone. Hey, look at this. This is a picture that God gives to us of, of who Jesus is in context to his church. Do we realize what is at stake? This is the glory of Christ and his covenant with his people bound up in marriage. So let me back up again. Why should you and I care about marriage? Well, it's not just if you're married. Also, if you're single, because there is some kind of picture to a watching world around us that should be communicated through a biblical covenant marriage. Well, what does a covenant marriage look like? Well, we have to see that God designed this covenant thing. Before I get to that, I got excited. I skipped ahead. A, a, a covenant marriage is very different than a contract marriage. Another place that our culture and biblical idea of marriage are very, very different. Now, the difference between a contract and a covenant is this. A contract, we limit our responsibility and we protect our rights. This, this isn't that hard. Okay, if, if I'm entering into a, a business contract with somebody, I want to make sure that we spell out all the expectations. I want to limit my responsibilities. I want to know exactly what you're expecting of me so I can expect that of you. And I want to limit my responsibility and I want to protect my rights. And so if something goes astray, we'll know whose toys are whose so we can divide them up and make sure everybody gets the toys they came to the table with. This is a contract idea, but a covenant idea is very different. In a covenant, we accept responsibility and we give up our rights. Now, I think sometimes a lot of division over Ephesians chapter 5 and on how this works with a husband and a wife is because we come at this passage of Scripture with this idea of contract. Ah, ha, ha! I knew it! Wives should do this. But that's not at all what Paul is saying. If you read any of the chapter, he's saying, hey, 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 this is about you giving up yourself because Jesus has given up everything for you. And so the best way to read the text is coming to say, what do I give to get to give? It's a picture of, of the athlete telling coach, when can I get in the game? How, how, can, how can I serve? Well, wives, serve your husband this way. And the husband says, well, when is my turn? You, you get to lay down your life this way. This is the picture of marriage. This is the picture of the gospel that God gives. It's a covenant, not a contract. Marriage is an irrevocable commitment of unconditional love towards an imperfect person and doesn't that sound a lot like our culture's understanding of marriage not at all as soon as the sign of something is uncomfortable as soon as the sign is i'm not happy as soon as the sign comes up that this is not what i dreamed and hoped for since i was a young girl or a young man i I just I, i i'm just so disappointed now i'm sorry you're disappointed but that's not what this is about this is more about god's glory than it is about just what you desire. Marriage is this irrevocable commitment of unconditional love toward an imperfect person. Well, I didn't know they'd be this way. They're imperfect. You should know this. Well, I'm not so sure. It's unconditional. It's a irrevocable, lifelong commitment. Well, what does this covenant idea of marriage look like? Well, Paul goes back to Genesis 2. Let's, let's go back to Genesis 2 with him. We touched on this verse last week, but let's come at it again. Genesis 2, 24. For this cause, and remember last week we said, well, what cause? Well, God created man, God created woman, God said that children would be a blessing. So for this cause, because God's the creator, because God's the creator... Man will leave his father and mother and will cleave or unite to his wife and the two will become one flesh. So catch this. This is what God's saying to us. A covenant marriage, a biblical covenant marriage has leaving involved. Not the kind of leaving that our world sees in marriage that we just jettison as soon as things get tough. But there is a a leave or a separation from something in God's blueprint You leave your former relationships. 
You leave your former family. You leave the financial strings behind. You leave the emotional strings behind. And when you have a problem, you don't go run to mommy. You don't go run to daddy. You don't go run to friends. You say, it's going to be tough, but I'm going to turn all of my attention to you, my spouse, and I'm going to be committed to you. I'm going to leave everything else, and I'm going to turn my attention to you. And yet, a worldly idea of marriage says the exact opposite. Let's go on. There's this idea of cleaving, this gives me a word picture of kind of like epoxy glue that when you glue two things together, they become fused together. They become one. And if you try to rip it apart, you're going to rip one or the other. It's as if I would take some of Carrie's blood, a pint of her blood, and a pint of my blood, and we'd mix it together and say, now separate it. It's just one. We've been made one. There is a cleaving. There is that uniting. There's that hanging on to one another. And this means that when things get tough, we are driven closer together, not farther apart. Brady, I'm trying to hang with you. You said there'd be steak. I'm trying to use the fork and knife, but that's just not where my marriage is. When things are hard, I don't think like this. Exactly. I think God wants to remind us, hey, wait a minute, wait a minute. He has some self-help ideas for us on marriage, but that's not his ultimate purpose. If we come at this question, what is best for me in my marriage, we will miss the answer every time. We need to come at it first and foremost. What is this whole thing about? And if I'm not married to someone, and especially if I don't feel like God has marriage for me at all, I don't feel like that's his plan for me, why should I even care about this? Because this gives a picture of how Jesus loves the church and should be a picture of how the church loves Jesus. A covenant. And then this final aspect in Genesis 2.24, this becoming one flesh. And as a result of the leaving and the cleaving, you become one flesh. Now, I think there would be a high percentage, high 90% in this room that we would have an amazing benefit if over the next 12 months we would say these things to and about our spouse. Uh, yeah, I have responsibilities. I may need to, to win the bread. I may need to, to, to do some chores. I may need to do these kind of things, whatever my responsibilities are in our particular relationship. But, but this one thing I'm going to do, I'm going to see how close I can get to God. And I'm going to see how close I can get to you, my spouse. And I'm going to do whatever it takes to do those two things. If that becomes a focus, something shifts and changes. Now, this next graphic has been used by Christian counselors for decades, but they didn't invent it. This is just a word picture of what Ephesians 5 is talking about. This is a word picture of of what Genesis 2 is talking about. It's a word picture of, of what God has given us in a blueprint of marriage. You see in this triangle at the top, you see God. And at the bottom, you see man. And at the other corner, you see woman. And then in the middle at the bottom, you see Genesis 2.24. Right above Genesis 2.24 in your outline, write the word oneness or one flesh. God wants us to be one, one flesh. And here's his plan to do this. When man is seeking after God, going up that arrow to get as close to God as he possibly can, and and the woman is doing the same thing, seeking God first, trying to get as close to God as, as she can, this isn't new to you. You've seen this. You know what this is. They get closer together. You just kind of do the math. As they move up that line, they get closer together. Now, now here the opposite is true as well. When the man is running from God and the woman is running from God, not pursuing him, they don't go to this bad place together. They get farther and farther and farther apart. Selfishness, sin, drives us apart from one another. And so in mind, in, in body, and in spirit, we are made one as we pursue God first. This is a covenant relationship. God is directly involved in the marriage. Now, I say all that to say, okay, now, where did we start all this? What was the point? Families are important to God. And because families are important to God, it's how He intends to pass on faith from one generation to another. Marriages are important to God because He created us, male and female. And He he united us together in the marriage covenant. And He said, this is how children are to be raised under the safe umbrella of a godly covenant marriage. And when our culture says, no, when... Our church says, maybe not necessarily. When we as individuals say, that's for them, not for me, we're not only missing God's plan for marriage, which has great consequences, we're forfeiting a huge blessing that God wants to give to us. 
So what does this mean? Well, some of the topics that may appear to be controversial become not so controversial if the ultimate authority is God's word for us. Since God's design for marriage is a covenant, not a contract, here's five things that God's word is very clear on and it affects every single person in this room because God has a clear picture of what marriage is to be. The first, cohabitation before marriage always leads in disaster. Brady, I'm married. I'm not dating. Why do I care about this, friend? Because when marriages fall, it affects kids. It affects every single one of us. It affects the tremendous gift that God has given. We need to not only lead by example, but also lead by speech. We have the answer. We have the key to how life is to be led. Why would we be silent about it? Why would we say, oh, I know this is exactly how marriage can work best, but go ahead and try some other way. Cohabitation always leads to disaster. Why? Where do we get that? Because a a covenant relationship has no testing tryout period. There's no tire kicking period. Now, dating or courtship can be uh, an appropriate way to see if this is what God is calling us to do. But when we do married things with our heart, with our mind, with our body, with our soul, it begins to lead to destruction, not just for two people. It's never just for two people. It always impacts a, a ripple of, of pools of many, 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 many circles of people to come. Next, we see that sex before marriage is a violation of his holy covenant. And not just for people who are married, but for all of us. Hebrews 13, 4 says marriage should be honored by only those who are married. No. Marriage should be honored by all. And the marriage bed be kept pure, for God will judge the adulterer and all the sexually immoral. This matters to God. Because he's so cruel and mean and and he just squelches any fun I want to have. No, because every time that God says don't, he's saying don't, it's going to hurt. My dad is so mean to me when I was a toddler, he wouldn't let me put my hand on the stove. Really? No, it's going to hurt. Don't do this. We also see that not only is sex outside of marriage a violation of his holy covenant, divorce is not an option for God's plan for marriage. And we see here in Malachi 2.14 and 2.16 more specifically that God hates divorce. Ease up, pastor. Hold on. You're about ready to tick off a bunch of people. I probably already did that last week. But, But what do you mean here, God hates divorce? Maybe I've walked through divorce, or I know someone who's walked through divorce, and, and I feel this, and you just said God hates me. No, I didn't. I didn't say God hates you. God hates divorce. God hates lying. God hates stealing. God hates any other perversion of His gift. Right. Marriage is His gift, and divorce is a perversion of this that, that the enemy brings at us. We're going to talk about hope for those areas in just a minute, so hang with me. But God hates divorce. Now, We do see that there is biblical grounds, and I am not saying that it is God's desire for any man or woman who is in a physically or a sexually abusive relationship that they should stay confound to that abuse over and over again. That sin has already taken place. The fracture is there, and I'm not saying that they should stay in an abusive place. Hear me. But God help us, the things that we thumbtack on to biblical grounds for divorce... I'm not making light of your pain or your hurt or anybody else's pain or hurt. But it's like we just try to say, well, I'm just so unhappy and God would never want me to be unhappy. Your marriage is not about happiness. It's about glorifying God. Well, he's not being obedient to God. Well, that breaks God's heart. But but hold on. This is not because God wants to be a cosmic killjoy for you. But he says, wait a minute, wait a minute. I am the redeemer of all things. The only hope for any marriage, doesn't matter who it is, the grace of God. So before you start looking at someone across the the aisle and go, well, I don't have a husband or a wife like them. I better just give up. Hold on. They would be on their way to hell if it wasn't for the grace of God. They would be on their way for divorce if it wasn't for the grace of God. So, so catch this. Divorce is not an option for those who want God's plan. We're going to talk about what happens if you find yourself in that place. But that's not his plan. Adultery. 
is a serious covenant-breaking offense. Who says, okay, this is why we did all this work together through Ephesians 5. God says, He created us male and female. He he said, be fruitful and multiply. He says, I have given you this, this pattern for leaving and cleaving and having a oneness together in a covenant marriage. And in a covenant marriage, there is no freebies. There is no, well, I was just kind of having a bad day, so therefore I won't be faithful. A covenant marriage, adultery, is a very serious breaking offense. Also, we see homosexuality. Well, why do you bring this up? Well, our culture is so confused right now. We begin to say, well, what if, what if a man and a man or a woman and a woman would want to take God's principles of marriage and live them out? Wouldn't it be wrong of the church? Wouldn't it be wrong of us to, to not allow them to live in obedience to God by being married in this holy covenant love relationship for each other? I think I halfway understand the logic, and I would say half of the effort is good. But the other half, I'd say, no, wait a minute. If the desire is, is to be a, a, obedient to God, God said, I have not planned for marriage to be between anybody other than one man and one woman. Where, where do we get this? We find in 1 Corinthians 6, 9 that, that homosexuality is a sin. It's detestable to God. We find this also in Romans 1, 26 and 27. Any act of sexual immorality and begins to list that homosexuality is a part of these things. So you just said that God hates homosexuals. No, I didn't say that. Listen to me. God says about all sin, it will be fracturing the perfect plan I have for you. So, what, what do we take away from this? Well, one, I want to remind you, I tried to prepare you that each message is going to build upon itself. And next week we're going to look at what God's Word says about parenting, what God's Word says about honoring our mother and father, and what God's Word the, the next week about reconciliation in our home, and then ultimately, is there any healing for the fractures we see? And we're going to talk about this together. But I think there's a takeaway for us today. We have enough truth from God's Word today that should elicit some kind of response. And so on the bottom of your outline, if you're not married today, could this possibly be a response of obedience for you? Could you possibly say, as God leads me, I will prepare for the kind of relationships that God wants for me. Now, I don't believe that God calls every single person to be married. He calls many to, but not every single person. And I think that God can ordain that singleness for some. And so for some, this following this pattern is, God, I'm going to prepare myself for the kind of relationships, whether you have marriage for me or you have singleness for me, I want relationships to be honoring your idea of marriage. Therefore, I'm not going to do married things with my mind, with my body, with my spirit, if, if I'm not called to be married or if I'm not married yet. Would you prepare me to have those kind of relationships? Because when it's fractured, it never affects just two. It affects many, 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 many people. Could it be, as a single, you could say, as God leads me, I will embrace marriage as a picture for the good news of God's grace and the life of His church. So maybe God is calling you to look for some role models, whether you desire to be married or not. Could you look and see a marriage that you say, you know what, from the best of what I can see, that looks a lot like Jesus loving His church by the way that husband is sacrificing himself for his wife. And when I see that wife loving her husband, it looks a lot like how I see Paul is telling us that we should, we should love the Lord and, and surrender ourselves to them. And it's not about who has the upper hand, it's about who can give the most and give first. Maybe if you're married today, a, a takeaway of obedience could be from, from this day forward, I'm going to refuse to consider divorce as an option. I, I'm convinced that there is a, a plethora of people in the church that are not divorced, but have it on the table. Now, if you've experienced divorce, God's grace is there for you. Hang on, I'm going to be talking about this. Don't let the enemy dump shame on you. There is freedom there. But because of the pain you experience, give me some time. i got to talk to some people. There is a cliff ahead. Don't jump off of it. Take that off the table. Could it be my, my response is, God, I don't even think there's a problem in my marriage, but right now today, I'm going to, I'm going to refuse to consider divorce as ever an option for me and my spouse. As a married person, could I say from this day forward, because of God's word, not because of Brady's words, 
I'm going to take seriously my covenant relationship, not contract, my covenant relationship with my mate, not just us privately in our house, but before God. (laughs) Good luck finding a place where you get away from God. That's everywhere, all the time. When you wake up and their hair is a mess and their breath is nasty, God is there. Thank goodness. And he says, I called you to a covenant, not a contract. We can laugh about messy hair or lack thereof hair or, or bad breath, but when that real tension comes, the, the, the temptation to bolt is very real. And God says, no, no. Could it be if, if you're here today and, and this message, the Holy Spirit has pressed on you some area of disobedience, some area where you have deviated from God's plan. Could it be that this could be your prayer today? Beginning with me, God, I, I realize I need your forgiveness for violating your covenant plan for marriage. Maybe you find yourself that you're not married, you've never been married, but you found yourself having sex outside of marriage. This is a violation of God's marriage covenant. We weren't married, exactly. Could we come to the place where we say, God, I want to confess, I want to say the same thing about that sin that you say about it. And next... Could your prayer be today that, God, I want to receive your forgiveness because I put my trust in you. I want you to bring forgiveness in my heart. And would your grace bring restoration and healing for my soul? See, every time there's a conviction of sin, when shame comes upon it, that's always from Satan. Shame is from Satan. Guilt, true guilt, can be from the Holy Spirit if you and I are guilty of it. But when we confess it, when we receive His forgiveness... Shame is wiped away. The enemy wants to bring up stuff from the past, but God wants to pour grace over that. Could that be your response today? Finally, for all of us, could we commit to pray for either our marriage or a marriage that we may have in the future? Could we commit to pray for our children's marriages? Could we commit to pray for a marriage that that we have knowledge of, not gossip of, but knowledge of, that we don't need to go publicizing it somewhere? But we have reason to believe that there's a crisis there. Could we pray for that marriage? And as we close this morning, I just want us to have a time to pray just between God and us. And so as you look on that outline, I don't want you to turn this into me. I really don't want you to give it to anybody. I want it just be for you. This is kind of different. As we pray, I want you to write or open your eyes and read. You know, I was taught we had to pray like this and this and close our eyes, but we're going to break that rule today. You can pray with your eyes open. Bow your heads and look at that sheet of paper there. And and as I pray, don't just listen to me pray, but you pray, maybe with your eyes open, maybe with a pen in your hand, and you put a check mark or you underline or you put your finger on one of these things that you feel like is an appropriate, obedient response for you from God's Word today. Because when we hear God's Word, it always calls us to respond one way or another. And I invite you to do that with me now. Father God, I thank you for how clear your word is on marriage. Lord, we confess it's, it's rarely easy, but you've given us a fairly simple plan that as we put you first, as we seek you first, as you are Lord of our life, the same way that we serve you, God, you've called us to serve our husband, or our wife. God, I pray that you would remove the barriers from understanding this truth that have been rooted in our gut over years past of arguments of who's greater or who's less or arguments over who needs to start. But God, would you bring your power to convict us of the sin problem, of the selfishness, of we want to get our own way? And would you remind us that your plan is always best? Father, I lift up that husband and wife today. That they don't have to think of any kind of example because it's staring them in the face of what trials and rocks they are facing right now. Jesus, would you remind them not that their crisis is small, but remind them of how big you and your grace is. I declare today for my friends, Jesus, you are more than enough. Now, God, 
I pray an overwhelming conviction upon all of us that none of this will work if we try to define marriage our own way, if we try to define it with our own amendments of things that we, sure, that's fine, God says, but we want to add these things too. God, would you give us a clear understanding of your word? God, I lift up my single friend today, the one who has never been married and maybe hopes to be married in the future. Would you plant some seeds in their heart today of what to expect, what to look for, what to plan for, what to ask you to prepare them for in a marriage relationship? I pray for my single friend today that you may not be calling them to be married. Would you remind them that this is, this is a, a love picture that you have created for them? Would you remind them today, God, that as if they see any husband or wife loving each other the way that Jesus loves the church or the church should love Christ, would you remind them that that is a love gift to them? Lord, I pray especially for those who their heart is breaking and they've experienced a divorce and they've experienced infidelity. They've experienced the fractures of sin that they've committed or the fractures of sin that someone else has committed that they are reaping the benefits or the the consequences of. God, I pray that you will remind them that when we confess, when we say the same thing about it that you say, and when we repent, you are faithful to forgive and you are faithful to bring grace. And God, over the next couple of weeks, as we talk about your reconciliation and your healing, would you begin to prepare my brothers and sisters' heart, not just for a spiritual goosebump, but God, would you prepare them for the chains that have been around them like a weight to fall away? Now, God, we lift our attention to our marriages, to pray for them, for the marriages of our children, the marriages that you may have in the future for those who aren't married. And God, for the marriages that you bring to our mind that are in crisis today. We declare that, Jesus, we need you to remind us of God's plan for marriage, to remind us that while it's not always easy, it's simple. He has to be first. We have to be pursuing him. And you begin to spell out every other thing for us. I ask these things, Jesus, in your powerful name. I say, let it be so. Amen and amen. Church, I want to thank you for your attention today. As you take off, if you are married, here's your assignment. Sometime before you go to bed. So if you're planning a nap in the next hour, then you've got some work to do. But sometime before you go to bed, find a significant amount of time with your spouse. And you define what significant means. And I want you to talk to them and, and, and ask them, do you feel like our marriage is a is a good picture of the way Jesus loves the church and the way the church should love Jesus. And talk about that together. If you're not married today, I want to challenge you to look among your circle of friends, the people who influence you, and if you see somebody who's married, that they reflect a godly covenant marriage to you, maybe you could write an email or a note or make a call and thank them for the picture that they're giving to you of how God loves His church through Jesus and how the church should love Christ in obedience. Would you do that today? Two of you said yes. The rest of you are contemplating. I want to thank you for your attention. Whatever you do, go in obedience and may God bless you today. You're dismissed.